Hello, it's Jeff. Just before we get to the show, just a friendly reminder to hit follow or subscribe on your podcast app so it's downloaded and ready to go. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Welcome to the Blue Hotel, the podcast with the open mind. I'm Jeff Woods, episode 11 this time, with a reminder to go back anytime and enjoy the previous episodes, each with a different guest and a different theme, and each episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story, fiction mostly, steamy always, written and narrated by yours truly. And this time we'll get to an encore presentation of a story about David, who's home from college, And Danny, she's down by the bay at the sailing school in a story we'll call Summer of Love. Now, before we slide into the episode 11 theme, on our way to then introducing our special guest, let's take a second to do what we do at the beginning of each of these episodes, and that is consciously and intentionally breathe with the simple goal of slowing things down a little bit so we can uh, get beyond ourselves for a bit of focusing on some new information, perhaps, in our collective pursuit of pleasure, and more than that, even a better understanding of self and of others around us on our way to better relationships and better sex. So join me, if you would, for a second here. When I first saw this done, it was at a a concert festival, and Branko was the DJ who introduced it, and I thought, this is a great idea. He got everyone doing it. So if they can do it, I think you and I can do it too, here, now. And then focus on what's about to come. So here we go. We're going to breathe in the air three times. Three great, big, fat breaths. So, a first one. Big, ready? Big breath in. And out. That's good. That's good you did it. You better have done it. Did you do it? I'm going to do a second big breath in. Here we go. And out. This is good for you, believe me. Finally going to do one more big breath in here. And out. Okay. Thanks for indulging me. This time on the Blue Hotel Podcast... We don't have to wonder what the teacher's going to look like this year. Suffice to say, she looks like she sounds. She is positively charming. A lovely woman from Toronto who has expanded her role in the sex space beyond specialized school teacher to coach for couples. Her passion is unbridled. Her enthusiasm is beyond. And once again, the conversation will come around to the all-important C word, communication which is precisely the prerequisite for all the talk required to understand at any age, but especially when you're younger and there's just so many questions. She teaches kids, and and now with her coaching, she teaches, guides, helps adults too. So this is going to be fun and funny and eye-opening and informative. It's just about time to get to know her. 
Okay, this is going to be fun because our guest is not only returning to the Blue Hotel for the second time because we had so much fun the first time, she's got a lot on her mind again. Things like male sexuality and masculinity is everything we learned a lie. The notion that women are emotional and men are logical is that complete, you know, female vocalization during sex and how it operates much differently than many might think according to the study, and she loves her studies. Not only does she love them, she dissects them with such enthusiasm and vigor that I just love to hear her um, her TikToks and her Instagram videos. I find her to be the most enthusiastic around this uh, sex education topic of anyone. She is self-described as a sex nerd, lover of all things sex ed. She has an advanced degree in sexual health with a designation in sex therapy. Her ambitions and passions include sexual literacy, sex for all. I mean, sex education for all. <laughs> she has some 120,000 followers on TikTok and can be found at After Sex Ed on Instagram. That's where I follow her. The Blue Hotel Podcast welcomes back from AfterSexEd.com, Sabrina Baldini. <laughs> Hi. Hi, everyone. Good. How are you? Good. I mean, you really do bring an enthusiasm that is... Uh, unbridled and unparalleled in the space. So thank you for that. Oh, of course. Since you were last here, which was episode two of this whole thing back in September 2022, uh, catch us up on your career, because as I understand it, you had some developments since September. Yeah. So um, I have um, officially just transitioned into teaching sex ed full time. So um I was doing a couple of different things before, but now I am not only just teaching sex ed in um, classrooms and schools, and I do that with a charity called The Period Purse, but I am a sex coach and I work out of a psychotherapy clinic in Toronto. It's called New Moon Psychotherapy, where I'm taking in-person consultations, one-on-one couples, and I'm working on some group trainings as well. Um, And it's all adult sexuality education uh you know people assume that grown-ups know everything we most certainly do not so i've been very busy and if you're wondering what a sex coach is i can break that down a little bit it's basically like a sex therapist and a sex educator kind of amalgamated i actually find sex coaching to be probably a little bit more with what i'm aligned with so think of sex therapy as more of an exploration of your past and a deep dive into your past and sex coaching is a little bit more forward facing. So it's like exercises, techniques, strategies, uh, homework tools that you can use to uh, improve your sex life and pleasure and sexual satisfaction. Like in the future, sex coaching for sure has a little bit of background work. Like in a typical intake, I would ask, and I think most sex coaches would ask about your sexual history. It's really important that we know some of it. But like jumping into your like really peeling away the layers of your sexual past, like not as much. It's a little bit more like we're going to get you like really horny and happy for the future. (laughs) So it's more practical, isn't it? It's more practical. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Which is wonderful because I've talked before with guests about how psychotherapy, for example, becomes less practical because it is that 
you do all the talking, they do all the listening. And sometimes you get to the point that, can I just have some advice or some a right. bit of a roadmap? And so you come with a roadmap, don't you? Sabrina, how do you measure success in what you do? Ooh, I mean, I would say it really depends on what somebody is really presenting with and what their you know, issue really is. I think the measure of success would be really, you know, it sounds maybe a little bit cliche, but like leaning into pleasure, like that's where so much of the work is done. Like people really not seeing sex as a pleasure-based activity. Oftentimes people come in and say like, I know how, you know, bodies work, whatever. Like I know how to have sex, but like, I don't feel like I'm having as much fun anymore and I'm really stuck in my head. Uh, So it's really kind of like letting go of whatever issues you're hanging on to and then having fun and feeling like it's okay to just see it as a pleasure-based activity because that's where a lot of people live, regardless of orientation, you know? So Punch and Judy, that's a couple that I've just made up. They come in <laughs> and, and they want to do couples therapy with you and uh, and you're, you're going to coach them. Um, mm-hmm. is, it, is it predetermined how many sessions or they come to one and then you have a session and then they rebook? How does that all work? Hmm, in a typical thing, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I would say, so I do a general intake and I'd like to know what issues they're facing. Um, and I'm clear, I say like, as a sex coach, I can't diagnose you. I'm not going to prescribe you medication, but we're going to put like strategies and, and things together. Like it really depends on couple to couple, person to person. But I would say, can I can usually project, you know, how many sessions I think it's going to take depending on what they're dealing with. So let's say they have, uh, you know, a libido mismatch, a sex drive mismatch. So, you know, one person wants to do it more. The other one's like really not that into it. Um, and they're having some communication issues, then I would um, do an intimacy exercise with them. Actually, let me back up. I would do an intake to find out, you know, just get a little bit of a history, like of your sexual history and history to see if um, that you're presenting a pattern um, of like having intimacy issues or having a low libido or having like um, sex drive mismatch. And then I would set out a roadmap of, okay, we're going to talk about um, sex drive mismatches and exercises that we can do to get you aligned. Then we'll talk about sex versus intimacy and figure out which one you're actually craving more because people oftentimes don't realize that sex and intimacy are two different things. And I have this on my website too. Anybody could go on my website and download a free worksheet and it's called Exploring Intimacy. I would, you know, sit somebody down and a couple of, doesn't matter who, an individual and say, define sex. How do you do it? Define intimacy. How do you do that? And are those the same thing? Why or why not? I would ask a bunch of other questions, but those are the big ones I'd say, because that it tends to be very revealing. And I would say that some people, as far as couples are concerned, I want to make sure I say this right, because I generally tend to find that out of out of a couple, sort of there's two people coming in for, for coaching, there usually tends to be one that really kind of smashes sex and intimacy together. They're conflating it. So they'll be like, oh, sex, um, sex is, uh, you know, a penis goes into a vagina, let's say, if it's a straight couple. Penis goes into a vagina, um, you're naked and you have an orgasm, I don't know, whatever. What's intimacy? Like, oh, you're like naked, you're together, it's sex. Like it's, they, <laughs> and they usually define both things the same way. Whereas I, I often find like the other person in in the partnership, the couple usually tends to. You mean to the lady, the them. woman, the female? Not no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. No, wow. not necessarily at all. Dig in a little bit. Tell me more. <laughs> I mean, generally speaking, if a couple comes in and they're present, if they're saying it's a sex drive, a sex drive mismatch, let's say, and they're like, 
I want to do it more. This person doesn't want to do it as much. And we're like Mexican standoff. We're battling. Um, Usually what tends to happen is you'll ask them, you know, was there ever a time when everything was going well? And if they say, yeah, there was a time it was going well, then explain to me what that time looked like. And then you're trying to figure out, you're trying to figure out what their style is, you know, um, what was going on during that time? Were they spending a lot of time together? Were their careers going well? And they got a lot of confidence from that. Like, you know, did something change that took away their energy? Did something change that took away, you know, their ability to communicate with each other? Really, essentially, you're trying to figure out what somebody's personal philosophy is on sex. The best way to describe this would be that, I feel like there's two different kinds of people, regardless. I feel like it's genderless. One person, their philosophy on sex, their framework is very make or break. So like, what does sex mean to you in a relationship? They'll tend to say, well, you know, if the sex is not good, the marriage is over. Like, I, I can't, I have to get out. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm freaking out. So they're really like, the word for it is catastrophizing. So they tend to, and it's not, nobody's on trial. Nobody's a bad person, but there's one person that really tends to frame sex that way as very make or break. And then there's the other person that is the compartmentalizer that will be like, I love my partner. I love my, you know, husband, my wife. She's a great mother. He's a great father, best friend, great communicator. Love them for all these different things, but our sex life isn't good. And I want to fix that. So they're breaking the person up into different parts and they're seeing them as like the full sum of the man or the full sum of the woman or the person. And sex is a part of that. So this like catastrophizing versus compartmentalizing, I would say is like, is not gendered, not in my experience. Let me ask you a couple of things related to that. Yeah. Do the majority of couples come in when it is crisis? Does anyone come in when things are okay, but we'd like it to be even better than okay? No. <laughs> it's, it's crisis and now we go to therapy. Yeah, that's 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 been my experience, that people will reach out or sit down with me or they'll start looking for help. And you're, you're essentially taught that in sex therapy, that when people are coming to you, they're coming because something's wrong. Wouldn't it be great if not only for sexual related therapy, but for therapy, period, psychotherapists, psychologists, therapists, psychiatrists, if people came when things were actually okay, because you can still, we, we can all improve no matter how well we think things are going, there's room hmm. for improvement. And in crisis, it, sometimes it's too late. Are you able to bring everything back from the brink? I mean, ideally. Me? Or just jet people? You as a therapist or oh, as, a I mean, as a coach, as a coach. Um, I mean, that's hard to say. Just like with anything else in life, if you're going to go into therapy, if you're going to, you know, be married or have friendships, it's like you have to be willing to do the work. And sometimes you can really just tell if one person is in and one person's checked out. And so you can really tell when they're both there. Is it you know? the body language? He's got his arms or she's got her arms crossed and the other one's ready to talk and one's just kind of like waiting and seeing? Sure. Yeah. Like I've, I've seen else? couples where, you know, one is doing all the talking and the other one's just like, like kind of shrugging. And then I've seen couples that are, um, you know, both with notepads, pens, ready to go. Like they are, this is like, we're doing the homework. We want, we want tips, you know? Um, those, that gives me the, the greatest peace of mind that they're ready to do the work. And, you know, it's not like it's necessarily always like such a clash. There's lots of couples too, that I've like talked to and done consultations with that are, um, really playful, you know, like they, they more often than not, there is a time that they can reflect back on that. They're like, it was so good then. Like, it was so good. I just want to get back there. And sometimes it's both of them that are like, ah, oh, like, we're so out of sync. And sometimes it's just one person that's like, 
I want to be my old self again and I'm not there and I'm, I'm, I feel bad that I'm letting my partner down and a lot of guilt, you know, sex is rarely just about sex. It's usually about a bunch of other things that are going on. And a lot of time is spent telling people it's, it's okay. Like, you know, actually even going into coaching is a massive step. That's not easy. So good for you. You know, talking about sex isn't easy for people and then telling them, you know, you don't have to apologize for having a low libido. You don't have to make excuses. It's okay. We're going to figure this out together. And there is, there are so many different ways that you can feel good. I think it's that, again, back to like defining sex and how you do it. Generally speaking, people tend to define it one way. They get really like married to that one way. And you're like, you know, there's a bunch of other ways that you can have fun with somebody. You know? Speaking of which, then then I want you as the educator to uh, to shine some light on what I'm missing here. Mm. To me, as I understand it, some of the signals, some of the signs that there's intimacy going on, as opposed to just the physicality of, of intercourse or the physicality of sexuality, it would be things like um, you're talking to one another, looking into one's eyes. With some people, mm. that might be difficult. So intimacy... Mm-hmm is the whole the whole ball of wax yeah. as it were it's not yeah. just the physicality of intercourse and and good night so i guess the question is intimacy as you see it in, in its most broad uh, context includes what it's more like questions like open questions like um can you be let's say it's you know a heterosexual couple let's say it's a man a cisgendered heterosexual man who tend to be most of my clients anyways uh can you be intimate um with another man can you be physically intimate with a woman without being sexual can you have sex with somebody and have it not be intimate like if so define that like how how would how did that happen you know what I mean? how would that work and i would say oftentimes people you know my experience that people would be like you know can you have a, a physical intimate interaction with somebody and have it not be sexual like no they're really like the the two things are just so smashed where it's like, well, yeah, you absolutely can. You can have, let's say you're a cisgender heterosexual man. Uh, can you have an intimate platonic relationship with another heterosexual cisgendered man? And oftentimes, you know, men will be like, no, no, that's weird. And it's like, well, why? So when somebody is saying that they have a low libido or that they're, let's say they're a make or breaker, let's say like they're catastrophizing and they're like, oh my God, like the sex is out of my marriage and I'm freaking out. And I'm not saying that this is always the case, but it's not unusual that that same catastrophizer, the one that makes or breaks sex is also conflating sex and intimacy. So it's not really actually sex that they're going after. It's like, it's intimacy. They, they can't be vulnerable with somebody. They you know, don't have anybody else with which they can be physically affectionate, let's say, right? So so that, that hypothetical when you said, you know, yeah. you ask a man if, if he can have a, an intimate, uh, platonic, um, non-sexual uh, bout of intimacy with another man, and he would say, no, that's weird. Is that just him not being able to open up in any other way than, hey, let's go shoot pool or well, let's go watch sports? There can't be a conversation that's deeper than that about emotions or about relationships. That's the intimacy that he would think is weird? Yeah, generally speaking, right? Not everyone's the same, but yes, in that hypothetical, it's like, you know, having an intimate conversation with somebody other than my wife, like, why? You know, there's a lot of like balking at that idea. And it's like, well, if, you know, your wife is the only one with whom you're being intimate, and then 
you know, you're not having any intimate conversations. You're not having any intimate interactions. You're not having any uh, intimate touches with anybody. Like that's non-sex. You're not doing anything intimate with anyone else. And then the sex goes out in your marriage for whatever reason. Does it make sense that now you're catastrophizing this because you actually have no other place you have no other person with whom you can express yourself. I mean, oftentimes, and I'll do this in sex education classes with with teenagers and adolescents, like we ha- we do say like, what is intimacy? What's dating and healthy relationships? Like, what does that look like? And we define intimacy and make a real point of saying, you know, if you don't have relationships with whom you, you know, a different people with whom you can be intimate, if your girlfriend breaks up with you, if your boyfriend breaks up with you, you have nobody that you can lean on for support. It's very isolating. And I think adults need to hear that as well. So, you know, if sex is the only place where you get to be intimate and then the sex is gone. Well, yeah, no wonder you're it's so make or break. You know, no wonder you're catastrophizing. No wonder you can't separate, you know, sex from the person and from the marriage and from the whole bigger picture. Does that make sense? It totally does. Then, then, in the simplest of ways, Sabrina, then what? What is? What are you striving to have them achieve? It's really mostly trying to understand: is it sex that you're after, or is it intimacy that you're after? So, like, how do you? How would you like to be intimate with somebody that doesn't involve sex? Is it touch? Is it back scratches? Is it hugs? Is it check-ins? Is it text messages? You can communicate to somebody that you care for them and that you love them and, and you can be affectionate with them without having sex with them, right? So like what, yeah. So like what does that look like for you? And oftentimes people aren't really actually looking for sex. They're looking for affection, attention, a little bit of romance, alone time, stuff like that. I gotta think that conversation because here's here's the way I, I see it friends you can count them on hand mm-hmm. you're lucky to have five of them mm-hmm. and 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 i go further than that saying yeah you are lucky to have five great friends you're you're also lucky to have maybe two of those five that you can tell anything to mm-hmm. of the same sex right because yeah two guys talking about things you i don't know about women you can tell me but as a guy your five friends let's just call it five or six or seven or eight or whatever the number is, you don't tell each of those people your truest, darkest feelings and secrets about your relationship with with your partner. Mm-hmm. You don't tell them everything. Some guys just don't want to know. Some guys don't have the the tools or the capacity or the interest to listen to that, and you know who they are, so you mm-hmm. don't. But those mm-hmm. other one or two special friends, mm-hmm. they can tell you anything. You can tell them anything. And that's an intimacy that is pretty wonderful to have, to your point, because when that relationship you have with your girlfriend or boyfriend somehow blows up or goes away or is on hold or is in crisis, you have that person still to have the intimate conversation with. So you're not alone on an island. So that's the intimacy. No, I don't want to touch my buddy. He might have a little hug and a handshake, but and I don't want him to scratch my back or me to scratch his, but I do want him to hear me and he wants me to hear him. It's it's a sounding board, isn't it? It's someone to yeah. to, 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 to talk to. I got a couple of those friends. We get on the phone and we hey, what the hell's going on with you? And you spend 45 minutes or an hour. You can't do yeah. it with all your friends but but I can't imagine not having one or two of them to do it with. Mm-hmm. And hang on to those ones. I think that men and women can be different. And I think that how we socialize men and women really matters too. So I think like men really, like we tend to kind of, um, you know, men wanting touch, 
like conf conflating touch with sex like it's or it's lust like ev any desire that men really have to to touch somebody or to connect with another person gets like really conflated with sex we do that i think the patriarchy has done that so even like you know when you were saying i don't necessarily want to touch my buddy i get that right but um if there was a time really you know where you felt like you needed to be hugged and like held would you is is there anybody in your life that you can ask outside not necessarily you just generally speaking outside of your romantic partner um and i would say generally speaking women are like yeah i have friends that i can hug and we talk and we hold hands and we hold each other and, and that's great but more often than not men don't really have that you know being able to like hug each other i think i think we just really um devalue how important touch can be and I think two years of being locked away really magnified that. Like we, not only are we social animals, but like, you know, there's some people in, in, in my coaching and there's some people that I've had consultations with that are like, I haven't actually been touched in years. Like that's immiserating, you know? And if you're the only way that you think about getting touched, particularly for men is like in a sexual way, then like, you're going to burst. Like you can be touched and held not sexually right does it all have to be like that and that might not even be what you're looking for is sex you're looking for somebody to to fucking hug you it's a great you know? point I, I mean i i speak for some men in that we do have uh hetero men who do have or bisexual men or any man yeah. right, have any sexual persuasion have uh platonic female friends that they can give a nice warm mm. hug to that's not just a greeting but a Oh man, it's, it's thank you. Thank you for that conversation. Thank you for that insight. Thank you. It's nice to see you. It can be that simple. A greeting that is longer than a two second hug that mm -hmm. just says, ah, I'm here for you. You're there for me. It's good to see you. There's a nice little hug. Mm -hmm. and, and it's either a parting hug or it's a hello hug or it's a mid conversation hug. To not have that, I, I can't imagine that would be a pretty lonely place. COVID, mm -hmm. to your point, didn't help. Let's do mm -hmm. this. Um, because, you know, one of the things I introduced as a topic would be something that you suggested we go down in terms of a road because you speak often to it and, and speak well to it. Male sexuality and masculinity is everything we've learned a lie. Using that as a springboard, where can we go from there? I mean, this is this just comes from like years of being in sex ed classrooms and you know even my own life and talking to my friends and my guy friends and my girlfriends but really teaching teaching sex education to adolescents and now like really with coaching too that's adult sexuality so it's just really like seeing this pattern really play out with men the way that they describe sex the way that they talk about it I think has really led me to believe and I'm really vocal about it on Instagram and and TikTok that I think we've gotten a lot of it wrong. I know that the patriarchy, which is really when I say the patriarchy, I think a lot of people don't know what I mean. I'm basically just saying that men and women have not been collaborators in the building out of sexuality at, at all. So our perspectives and narratives and our views on what sex is women, I think, um, because we haven't been able to contribute to that, it's really like stunted men. And when you actually listen to the way that men talk about sex, particularly young men when I'm teaching, like there's just like, they clearly, God, how do I say this? Female sexuality is just so, it, it's like smashed into male sexuality. 
you know, because of the way that we look at masculinity, I think men have really historically, like we have not been collaborators in the building of sexuality. So men haven't really allowed for female sexuality or femininity to have influence over them. But if you listen to what they're saying, they want that influence. So tell me, <laughs> what does the old masculine look like? What, what's the old way? I mean, the, the messages that I always got growing up were that um, it's like, it's hard to talk about one without talking the other. Like I was always taught that, you know, girls needed to gatekeep um, and that we weren't allowed to want sex because men, boys don't like that and that they will think you're dirty and they'll disrespect you and that uh, they like girls to be submissive and demure and they, men like to chase. So like, you know, the flip of that is that you're doing that the men are more aggressive and that they pursue and that um, they like to lead. And uh, this is about if you're constantly told to gatekeep and you're conflating, um, you know, if you have sex with a boy or you show in sexual interest, he's going to think that, you know, you don't respect yourself. You've like conflated sex and respect in this very strange way. And that I'd say typical masculinity is that, you know, they don't respect women who enjoy sex and i think that their men are still getting messages like that but again if you're actually like listening to what you're saying <laughs> i don't think it that's it you know i don't think that they disrespect women or dislike women that enjoy having sex i think it's quite the opposite i think it's um there's a real desperation i would say for men young men and older men that you know women really be clear in how much they want them you know, that, that is a theme that comes up a lot. Uh, yeah, we, we touched on this in episode two when we first yeah. chatted, Sabrina. You know, that 1950s hangover, which is a hangover from the Victorian age and other, and other <laughs> eras, is yeah. kind of not realistically um, part of the actual narrative now. Yeah. Although some people are still certainly hanging on to that. At the core of them, if you dig deeper and get them to be honest about what they want, they also want to be pursued. They also want mm. to be the object. They also want to be, they want women to say, yeah, I'd like to go out with you. They, they want to be pursued because, because why? It seems to legitimize the, the attraction when someone else actually comes to you. Go deeper, I mean, though, on the reasons you think things have changed in that regard. I mean, I don't know that they've changed. I think that... Um... Men and women, we've told people that sexuality looks one way for so long, and I think everybody just believes it. <clears throat> I think that a lot of nuance has been left out of human sexuality. Like, people, you just can't, like, cram them into boxes, you know? Uh, and saying that men are logical and physical and women are emotional is just like, come on, give me a break, okay? Sex is a very emotional thing for everyone. So I just want to, like, give you an example of you know, what I've observed for so long and why I think we're getting so much of this wrong is that when I'm in classrooms, you know, teaching kids about sex and consent and, and, you know, I would, would always emphasize, do not split the boys and the girls up. They need to be in the same room. They need to listen to each other. Um, so if we would talk about, you know, respecting boundaries as an example, and this is under the pretext, prefacing this by saying that I'm allowed to talk about sex positivity. So I'm talking about sex in a positive way. I can teach it that way. So if I'm going to be talking about, let's say, consent and respecting boundaries with a group of teenagers, you know, we would say like, what does, you know, respecting a boundary look like? It's respecting somebody's no. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm not comfortable doing that. I've never done that before. I'm not ready for that. You know, so if somebody doesn't feel comfortable enough to tell you no, if somebody can't tell you what they don't want to do, they're not going to tell you what they do want to do. So do you want to be told 
what your partner wants to do. Would you like that information? Would you like your partner to be like, I want to try blah, 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 or you did this last time and that was so great. Do you want that kind of feedback and information? And I would say collectively, both boys and girls usually are like, yeah, I want to know that because, you know, I want it to be fun for the other person, but I want to know, please talk to me, please be clear, is really boys. And they emphasize that a lot. Like, I would love to know all of that information. I would really like to hear what girls want to know. Um, And if she were to tell, if girls were to tell me, I want to try this or can you do this? Oh my God, that's all I wanted. That's all. I would love to hear that. And I think that if you had a really reductive view of male sexuality, and I would say that the patriarchy has reduced men to just like seed spreaders, you know, like these, oh, we have to conquer. You really wouldn't hear what they're saying. I don't think it's just like a, like straight horniness. That's why they want to know that. I think, you know, talk to me, please be clear, green light. They'll say, oh my God, please green light. Tell me what you want. It is very communication heavy. They're constantly talking about communication. And I think that given how much emphasis there is on communication, that usually boys and men emphasize that, I think that sex is a form of communication for men, a big one. I think it's a form of communication for human beings, but I think that it is especially for men. And and I have other thoughts on why I think that's the case, but yeah, just, you know, years of hearing men talk like that. And now in, in coaching, it's the same thing. Dig into that. That's too juicy to walk away from. <laughs> like, you know, listening to how couples talk or just even an individual coaching, how men usually tend to say, like, what are your outcomes? What would you like to work on? Um, you know, they'll, they'll really talk about, I want her to be so into it. I want to be better at sound. I want to get out of my head so that she can really enjoy it. I want to know what she likes so that I can be so good at it. And that she's like, just like moaning and groaning and going nuts. And like, again, I think if you were to have this really reductive view of male sexuality, you know, her being so into it and her wanting me so bad and wanting it so bad, I think could read only as ego and I think that maybe part of that could be ego because I think that human beings are complicated. But I think that if, you know, men are predominantly going to describe sex that way, like, please talk to me, please be clear. I want you to be into it. I want you to go nuts. I want you to have this great time. I think there's a compelling argument to be made that male sexuality is actually very generous and very giving because so much emphasis is placed on the other person's experience. Like literally, I'll say like, what are your goals? What would you like to accomplish like what what you know at the end of the day perfect scenario what have you walked away knowing uh and they're like she's so into it i'm so good at sex that she's going crazy she's going nuts she wants me so bad so it's like she 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 no i statements very little i statements and i i think that we just really need to start talking about that about that aspect of male sexuality that i think gets entirely overlooked because then that means that you are viewing women men not as a conquest and not as something, somebody that you have sex to, you know, it's somebody you have sex with sex is somebody, something you do with somebody. Like you want her to be so into it means you care. Speak of each other. We speak of relationships as being partners, partners in all things. Why would it exclude the sex of the equation together? You're with someone, you're not doing it to them. Now, let me ask you this related to that. So I would think that the, the most practical question in all of that is a guy would say, well, I, I, I want to know that she's come and I want to encourage her to come and I want, you know, ladies first. 
I need to make it happen for her before it happens for me. Is mm. that a desire of, of, of men? or You mean like do men mostly talk like that? Like I want my partner to come first before me? What do you mean? Is that, a, is that a goal of a man? Is that a goal of a partnership? Is that a conversation that ends up happening in your office? Yeah. Yes. Often. And is, so that's a challenge for women? Who brings it up? I would say usually men are like, I just want her to just like want me so bad and have like the best time ever. So the best time ever includes orgasm. It's not just they seem to be, um, we're going to get to this. This is leading somewhere. The vocalization of pleasure sometimes doesn't come with pleasure. It comes with a lot of vocalization. And in actual fact, she's not coming. But he's coming even quicker because she seems so turned on. And he's like maybe assuming she must have come or she wouldn't have been so loud. (laughs) And now I can't help but come. And then you've got two people in a room not on the same page. You know, if you're faking orgasms, not that men don't do that, but usually women do that. You're not doing anybody any favors there. You know, you're talking about like if she if I can hear that she's having one, I'm going to have one, too. There's a name for that. This phenomenon whereby, you know, if, if. if women's vocalizations ramp up, it's followed usually very quickly by men's ejaculation. And that was that study that I sent you, uh, which was that it, it, the study said that women had, quote unquote, conscious control over their vocalizations, uh, which means that women have this inherent ability to be like, OK, I'm going to ramp it up because I want him to wrap it up. And it works. It works. And I find it like, you know, you know, when there's something that, you know, about something especially about sex like you know it and you've always known it and you don't know why it's true you just know that you know it and and that's one of those things where you know reading this study and it's like oh women are you know essentially faking they're really embellishing in their vocalizations to get the men to hurry up and finish and i'm like yeah duh this is a study but what i found so fascinating about it was that they were referring to it as an audio ejaculation mechanism that they were like oh men seem to have this um really keen sensitivity to the sounds of her enjoyment and it would push him into an orgasm very quickly which you know I think lends itself to what I'm saying after years of sitting in classes and now sex coaching where men just keep saying like oh my god like please be clear please talk to me like green light it's so communication heavy and then here you have these like vocalizations during copulation women are moaning and groaning and gasping and all kinds of stuff and it pushes men into orgasm quickly is like that you know moaning and groaning instead those are just nuances of communication so that you're doing it again like you're just so sensitive to communication so much that I really do believe that sex is a place where men just communicate it's not a form of communication I think it's the form I think it's a big one if it was framed that way this is where men communicate and this is where men are generous you know if she's moaning and groaning and going crazy like, these are the big questions that I think men need to ask themselves. And I'm getting very passionate about this and I may have to calm down. <laughs> but I think the be- you know, the questions that if that if that resonates with you, and you identify with that. And if you're like, you know, the definition of sex for me when I have sex with a woman is that, you know, she's really going crazy and she's going nuts and she's so into it and that makes me feel really good about myself. I think the questions that men would have to ask themselves would be like, you know, do you believe that she's going to go nuts and be so into it by virtue of you just showing up? Or do you, does, what does that look like in your head? Are you asking her questions? Are you attentive? Are you listening? Are you interested? I sometimes like, I worry about men the way that they talk in, in our sessions and that they feel so responsible for orgasm, for female orgasm. But 
And I'm always like, you're not responsible, but you should be invested. So like asking and being attentive and, and wondering what they like is like 99% of the battle. Caring, you know? And getting to know because uh, <laughs> the intimacy of this would be transparency, you understanding what mm -hmm. works and, and she sharing with you what works. Two partners sharing with each other what works. Two partners mm -hmm. being so honest with one another that they get to a place where there's no question marks. There's no wondering, mm -hmm. was that for real? It, there's no wondering, was that moaning put on to just to get it over with? There's true communication where both people know exactly the score, know exactly what's going on. And, yeah. and, and, and it works beautifully. And it, it's it's true intimacy because there's no acting going on, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if of all the people in the world, uh, North America, because we're not going to we're not going to cross borders <laughs> to, to do um, an accurate speculation. But from your Canadian perspective, the people you've talked to, the studies you've read, how many people have found that true intimacy in uh, couples? Is there the majority or is there the minority that have found that place where there's no act, no lies, and there's complete transparency? Oh, man. How far have we come? In my little in my little world, because I'm meeting people when they have problems, right? So yeah. in, in my estimation, I would say lots of people are not achieving. They don't really have true intimacy because they they don't even know how to define it. Um, and I think that's because sexual health and sex education, it, it we don't encourage people to really explore any of that, you know? And, and maybe some people have the language they just know, like, and they're, they're in, that's not difficult for them. But I think that sex, just like anything else, is something that kind of needs to be worked on. Like sex, just like anything else, is like something that evolves and you should be constantly learning. So... I mean, if I had to quantify how many people have that like true connection, like, I, I don't know, I would say probably not a lot of people. I think mostly because when I, even when I ask my friends, never mind like clients or anything like that, but just my friends, like, hey, how do you define sex? And I guess this speaks to how many of my friends are straight too. They're like, oh, penis, vagina. Like, how do you define intimacy? And they're like, sex. It's right. like, they're, they're two different things, dude. <laughs> like, you know. <sighs> I got to think that a couple of things. Uh, I really do believe that sex is an, an extension of your personality. It becomes an mm -hmm. art if you're doing it mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. and you care enough about it and you care enough about the person you're with and you care enough about yourself, care mm -hmm. enough about your own pleasure and their pleasure. But not only that, it takes skill. It takes know-how. It takes understanding. It takes practice. It takes thought. Um, mm -hmm. It's a conscious act right? If you're doing yeah. it right. So imagine you want to become a carpenter. Imagine you want to fly a plane. Imagine you want to be a hockey player. Any yeah. skill, if if you're, if you started, you know, let's say you started at 18 years old, you know, arbitrarily start having sex at 18 and now you're yeah. 48 and, and you still haven't perfected it. You're probably not going to go to the NHL. In, in the world of sex. <laughs> like you, you should be getting better at it and your understanding should become deeper and 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 you should know when someone's faking and you should uh, be able to transcend those sorts of i'm with you like half and half there i know what you're Tell saying me. i just want to like reframe it a little bit differently because it sounds just a little and i know that's not what you're trying to do like a like a little performance heavy and no, I think not people... performance. It's more of an understanding. And it's not even about performance. It's about the connection two people have that 
that they're on the same page. I know yeah. how you feel because I'm not confused by your signals. I'm not confused by yeah. your moaning. I know that your moaning is legitimately, this is pleasure for you. You're not trying to prompt me to come so yeah. that you can go do the dish. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. <laughs> it's more about understanding and true connection. Understanding the other way I would frame it. And I agree with you on that. And I, this is how I frame it in classes. And this is how I frame it in coaching is learning. It's a learning experience. That's it. So when, and, and this is like, again, I think there's so many, there's so much crossover with kids and adults, the way they talk about sex, you know, like one of the number one questions I would get from kids in classes when we talk about sex is like, you know, uh, are you allowed to talk to each other? Do people laugh when they do it in real life? Um, that's super cute. Are you allowed? That's great. Yeah. Are you allowed? Right. And that usually says that they've seen sex somewhere, usually porn where nobody's doing that. So they're like, so do people just kind of like stare into each other's eyes and then you just like know what to do, you know, and you have to really emphasize that no grownups, people talk to each other, they're clear and they ask each other questions and they'll, they'll say a lot. Um, kids tend to be really concerned about like doing the wrong thing and making mistakes. So like, just like, does everybody know what they're doing? Is everyone, am I going to just know what I, I'm doing? And you know, there's so much time is spent being like, nobody actually knows what they're doing. Like nobody really knows anything until you ask. The only way you could ever know anything about anything, like you were saying, flying a plane, being a carpenter, you know, learning a new skill is to ask questions and learn. So like kids really, just like adults, like really need sex to be reframed from a performance because they're so concerned about like, can I ask questions? Oh my God, are you allowed to talk? If you're not allowed to talk, what the hell am I going to do now? You know? And you're like, grownups absolutely do talk, ideally, right? Like ideally, grownups are talking to each other in real life. You're asking questions. It's not just um, okay to do that. It's encouraged. And then when you, you know, you know, frame it away from a performance and it's more of a learning experience, then there's like less pressure. It's like, you couldn't possibly know how to do anything without asking somebody what they like and what they want to do. And that's like, that also implies, of course, that what somebody, you know, what Jeff likes isn't going to be what Bob likes. You have to, and if you don't have an, if you don't have any interest in asking Bob what he likes, because you don't care, then you should consider not having sex with Bob then. If I'm yeah. reading you correctly, and I, and I know you are, and I, I know I am, <laughs> is that you have to be equal parts really good student and really good yeah. teacher because in yeah. the teaching is telling in the in the student is asking and if both yeah. people are telling and asking then you've got some compatibility and room to grow and room to flourish yeah and, and it's okay fun. to be a student right it's okay to be it's okay to ask and it's, and mm. it's okay to tell too because someone's got more experience than the other but if you're uh what's the word if you're diplomatic and loving and caring you yeah. can ask for the things you want and you can ask questions for the things you wonder what they want. And it's just this communication all through it. And it is to your point, like that, that's super cute and, and, and interesting. And, and it's not just kids, it's adults too. You get to a point where you're expected to know, even though you might not know, and then you're not asking the questions and you're not able to get to the heart of the matter because you don't want to be embarrassed. Like they'll ask, like, are you allowed to laugh during sex? And, and Sue Johansson said this when I was a kid and I never forgot it. And we, it's in a lot of my, you know, courses. And I say this even in coaching, sex is funny. I say this to kids all the time. It's funny. You know, when I teach sex ed too, 
I sometimes depending on the age group, I'll start with like a giggle words activity. Get your giggles out. And if you talk about sex and you giggle and you laugh, it that's fine because sex is is a fun funny thing to do. So people are absolutely laughing in real life. And you said something and and we talk about maturity a lot too. Like what do, what is maturity and define it? Um and you know, it's somebody who listens and it's somebody who doesn't judge you and somebody who um is patient and kind and doesn't laugh at you and that's not even in sex that's just in life so if you're mature with somebody they trust you so that's when somebody's going to tell you things especially in sex this is what i want to do this is what i want to try like i've always wanted to do this and when again boys are like oh my god for the love of god please tell me what you want to do i would do it like those are their words it's like well the only way that you could ever really build trust with somebody is to be mature and listen and be patient and don't make fun of people. And, and girls need to hear this too. Everybody needs to hear that. Um, but this funny, you know, you're naked. Nobody knows what they're doing. So it can be. It it's can be. Yeah. yeah, it's not always, right? But like, especially kids, they haven't had it yet. Sure. And usually, or they've just started. And yeah. that's not to say that they haven't seen it. So they've seen movies and music and television and porn where everything is so choreographed. And you have to be like, no, not in real life. Not everyone knows what they're doing. And it can be really awkward and funny. So, you know, actually laughter is a very big sign of maturity. So if you are mature enough, if something funny happens during sex, like somebody farts in your face or whatever, and you can have a good laugh and you can make somebody comfortable enough to laugh at themselves, then you might be ready. But if that's a big deal and you're going to make fun of somebody for something like that, you're not ready. That speaks to no. patience. You mentioned patience. The yeah. other thing that's curious, though, is in a in a in a online dating world where people mm -hmm. are sometimes um, meeting people, swiping, and then meeting, and then having sex fairly quickly, be it for a second, third date, you know, maybe quicker than they might want. This hookup mm -hmm. culture that you're yeah. not going to get to a place of great deep intimacy if you're just doing it once and moving on to the next you know it might be good sex but people say there's no bad sex no but there's 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 okay there's good there's great there's mind-blowing that usually takes time though doesn't it yeah i mean yeah generally speaking like if you know somebody really well and you know context the context of sex is so important so it could be somebody you know that you've you liked for a long time or maybe it's somebody that um sex serves multiple functions there's a myriad of different reasons why people do it. Um, I think it's possible to have great sex with somebody that you don't know. Like, that's possible. You could just click and connect, right? But in that sex serves multiple functions, maybe it's just like you both are just like, like I, I'm stressed and this is really going to help me. And, and sex is a great stress reliever. So yeah, those things can be true, right? But yeah, generally speaking, when you're really intimate with somebody and there's a lot of context going on around sex, it generally tends to be better for people. But that's not to say that, you know, casual sex, I just want to be careful in saying that, you know, casual sex, if that's what you want to do, that's okay. You know? I completely agree. And it can be yeah. amazing. But you know what it can do over time, though, it can take it from a nine out of 10 to a 12 out of 10. That's what I mean. The other thing that I, I heard the expression many years ago, and I thought it was interesting and, and 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 useful to people is in terms of communication is not just foreplay but after play what happens when yeah. it's done where do you go how quickly do you go what's the conversation look like because it really sets up what's going to happen next time doesn't it it's another chance to to get to know on a deeper level the person that you've just been intimate with quote unquote yeah i would agree i think we talked about our last episode too was aftercare 
Yeah, there it is. Aftercare. That's how you Aftercare, frame it. Aftercare, yeah. And that was coined by the BDSM community, and I learned a lot. When I did that chapter of my studies, I didn't know what aftercare was. And my association BDSM in my mind was like pain and fear and scariness. And here's this like very beautiful, lovely thing called aftercare where everyone checks in with each other and talks to each other. And I thought like, I should be putting that in sex ed curriculum. Like I should be saying that you should talk to your partner, not, you know, not just before dur- and during checking in, but also after, you know. Isn't it ironic that, that people that aren't in that community haven't delved into that community, but have thought about it. Kink and BDSM, um, dominance and submission that if they might think, Oh God, that's not, that's, that's not something I've done. It might not even be something I want to do. Isn't it ironic though, that in that community, in that world, there is more checking in, there is more care, mm-hmm. there is more patience, there is more consent. There, there are more conversations around all those things that are important, no matter how deep you go. In, mm-hmm. into that world that beyond the heteronormative just you know intercourse it, it, mm-hmm. it's ironic there's a lot to be learned i guess is what i'm saying about how to be is it part of the curriculum then now in sex ed to go down those roads that weren't traditionally approached not really <laughs> i mean um why not right I mean, it's, I mean, to add things to sex ed curriculum is is really tough. And I don't know if you're talking like, you know, in a more broad way, but um, something like aftercare, you mean, or something like BDSM, like I'm not sure aftercare could be incorporated. It's just it's the way that sex ed works in Ontario is very, um, what's the word? It's very controlled. So like adding something that you want in there is like, it's like, it's tough to do. Imagine it at this rate, we've been, we've been having sex since the beginning of time. We've been yeah. teaching it, let's say semi openly since the eighties, semi. Yeah. Well, there, there is dominant, whether you, whether you're getting tied to a St. Andrew's cross, whether you're going down that road in a, in a deeper way or not, there is still in heteronormative sex, that that doesn't include whips and chains and 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 bondage gear. There is still dominance and submission in all relationships. There's a level of control or lack of control in every relationship. The teaching can be had and given without talking about all the components of BDSM, right? You're it's talking about like, like power dynamics and there you go, power dynamics. Yeah, yes. and consent and healthy relationships and yeah. setting boundaries. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, and I kind of when I learned more about BDSM and then like zoomed out and looked at, looked at the way we talked about consent and curriculum, it was just a lot of it's borrowed from there because BDSM is just so heavy on consent and respecting boundaries and setting them up front you know, and constantly checking in that it's like, oh my God. But that speaks to my ignorance that I was like, I had no idea. I had no idea it was like this. And and of course it would have to be because you're just really letting go like that. You know, you're trusting somebody so much. And when, when it's said, and, and rightly so, that the power is in the submissive, the submissive mm. person is giving the okay. It's yeah. not the dominant person that's saying, this is the way it's going to be. No, no. Isn't that interesting? I, I love that. <laughs> I will do what you want because you want it. And I will do it within these parameters because that's the parameters you've, you've laid out for me. It's a conversation. Mm. That's again, that's great intimacy. There's Mm. a conversation and there's great communication. We know exactly Mm. what we're getting into. Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as like consent um, and setting boundaries and respecting boundaries, aftercare, checking it, like all of those like great, and I'm saying these words a lot. These are all words that are, 
part of sex education curriculum. Like I want, like that has an asterisk beside it. So like, I don't know how much time you have, but I can explain like very briefly what it looks like very quickly. Sex ed in Ontario is broken into two parts, basically. Okay. There's core and then there's something called teacher prompt. So core is like core. It's like sex is for making babies and bodies and harm prevention. So like this is how you not have a baby and this is how you protect, protect against STIs and stuff like that. But there's so much variation depending on school board and, and school. But anyways, that's core. You said something earlier though, before we go on, yeah. you said, you said the curriculum is sex positive, but that, that part of it's not sex positive. That's just, that's just, that's just anatomy and, and reality. Okay. Parts so labor. yeah. So what I mean is, so core is not sex positive. Not, not usually. So it's not, that's core. And then teacher prompt, quote unquote, is basically what it sounds like if a teacher gets prompted and asked a question that strays from core. So um, <clears throat> let's say sometimes I watch gay porn. What does that mean, miss? Or like masturbation? Is, is it going to make, is it going to give me acne? Or why do I think about blah, blah, blah? Anything that strays outside of core becomes teacher prompt. And the teacher has a book. They can go to the teacher prompt section and they can talk about whatever. Um, if that oh, teacher hold is, on though, whatever, whatever was, is in the curriculum, you can't go outside of what you're allowed yeah. to talk about. You right? cannot go outside of what is written for you. So basically. tell me this, that give me something that has come up as a question. So a teacher prompt that you can't talk about. It's like, it, de it depends. Like this, there's so many variables, but I would say, okay, so I teach menstruation right now. So menstruation core is mentioned. Okay, so your kids will get core menstruation education mentioned once in grade four, mm -hmm. uterine lining, egg, that's it. That's core. So if a, t if a kid says, um, why do you get cramps? Or can you get pregnant on your period? That would go into teacher prompt. And I, there should be a blurb or a script. So this is where it gets a little bit murky is that the teacher could be, can, reserves the right to say, I'm not answering that. Oh my gosh. So go home Imagine. and ask your mom and dad. Yeah. Imagine. That's ridiculous. Right. It's completely ridiculous. How yeah. can you get pregnant on your period and you're not allowed to necessarily go down that road? Not necessarily, right? So the core is more like body and teacher prompt is more <laughs> like mind. Come on, what grade four. is this? So sex ed starts in grade four in Ontario? No, no, no. It starts earlier. My knowledge is mostly around grade four to grade 12 because that's okay. when I get called in. So I'm pretty sure sex ed starts around grade one, but it's age appropriate. Let me, let me ask you this. Is there anything that isn't allowable when you get into those higher grades in high school? Is there anything, yeah. is there anything teacher prompted that you can't talk about for, to a grade, grade 12 student? If it's in teacher prompt, it should be okay. But this is the, this is how it kind of generally works. Like if you're the teacher and you're getting prompted and they're, and they're saying, Hey, sir, um, how do I have, uh, you know, a, a, I think about a guy, I'm, I'm a boy and I think about boys giving me blowjobs. Does that make me gay now? You could go to LGBTQ sexuality in, in your book. You could go to uh, fantasy. You could go to whatever, right? Or you could go to all different kinds. If you are like, let's say you're the kind of teacher that's like, I'm not comfortable answering this. I'm not good with this. You could go to the principal and say, the kids are asking me a lot of questions. Teacher prompt isn't cutting it. It's not good enough for me. Uh, I don't think it's good enough. Can we get a community educator? That's me to come in and fill the gaps. Good. So that's kind of generally how it has to work. Like there's different teacher, there's a lot of variables. So if the, if the teacher is like, I'm not equipped to answer these questions, I'm going to the principal, the principal's aligned. You as a parent 
are going to get an email or a letter saying, we're going to have a community educator come in and talk about whatever, LGBTQ sexuality, menstruation, consent, whatever topic you pick, you can call that organization, that organization, if they're sex positive, that's what I was referencing, um, because the period person is sex positive, like we're a sex positive organization, uh, they can come in and fill those gaps. But you as a parent will have to give explicit consent to allow this person, whatever organization, to talk to your kid, and you as a parent reserve the right to pull your kid out. Here's here's Johnny's dad. I don't want my child to understand the things he or she are curious about. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine that stance. <sighs> you know what? Like there's a there was a recent study, and I can't remember who did it, but it was you know when all that controversy was happening in Ontario with the sex ed um, sex ed curriculum. And the basic history is that in like around 2015, the students, it was two girls got, you started a change.org petition to get consent added because it wasn't there in 2015 and they worked very hard and they got it added. And that's when Kathleen Wynne ratified sex ed and made it very robust. And then Ford came in and, and dismantled it. That, yeah. That's what we call an asshole, by the way. Let's not give people <laughs> the answers to the legitimate questions they have. Let's keep them in the dark where a lot of their parents are. Yeah. Makes no sense. Makes zero sense. Makes it's, less than zero. It's really difficult to talk about sex though, talking about politics. Like, you know, I don't want to get political. I want to be polite. You know, so after he changed it, there was a lot of hoopla and they actually had to, you know, update it because the kids protested again to get it back. But the reason I'm saying all this is that there were studies into how the parents felt about the curriculum, you know, the the ratified comprehensive sexual health sex positive curriculum, which was the one A-OK, -okay, that's the good one. And there was 90 94% alignment with parents. So they good. liked it. Good. And 92% alignment with students. So like Fantastic. It, we're we're on the same page here. It just drives me crazy that this battle over sex ed gets really sold as this fight intergenerational fight where parents and kids are fighting. That's not true. We're it's actually really aligned. It's been you know? politicized because need, someone needs to differentiate their own political aspirations and career from somebody else's. So it's for votes. It's not for things like doing the best thing we can do for our children. That's it. That's politics, think, baby. And I think sex is scary. Like we're going to make your sons gay and your daughter sluts is like, you know, I think most people, that still has a lot of legs. That really yeah, still yeah. scares the shit out of people, unfortunately. There are, yeah. there are people without I the brain power. Like, I have to say, like, in, in my opinion, not to be, you know, so morose, but I really do feel like the kids are all right. You know, the young kid, like, they really are very flexible, open-minded, no homo I never really hear homophobic statements come from them, sex positive. And when I talk about, especially menstruation <clears throat> and uh, women's health, and it always borders onto sex and consent, most parents are just so pleased. You know, they it, there's a lot of positive reception to I'm sex thrilled. to sex part, and that it leaves me hopeful. I'm very hopeful. Good. Let's go back to female vocalization for a minute, because sure. <laughs> during sex and how it operates different than many might think. Uh, it, it's usually correlated not specific to the actual female orgasm, but more to the male orgasm because a lot of guys don't have control um, to, to, to not come when, when there's so much excitement. What are some of the other things that put men over the edge that aren't just vocalization or verbalization by their partner? Oh, just, this is the thing. Just ask men like what, what you love about sex or like, <laughs> and then there is like, 
moaning, groaning, gasping. Oh, she's licking and scratching, eyes rolling in the back of her head. She's shaking. Like, this is how they describe sex so often. You know, what just like kills me um, is that we, you know, when people, again, I'm going to reference the patriarchy again, we have really been indoctrinated into thinking that men are so simple. Uh, to the point of almost dumb, like they need to be spoon fed everything. And this notion that boys and men need to be spoon fed enthusiastic consent is such baloney, because if you listen to how they talk, she's moaning and groaning and gasping and shaking and smiling. It, that's those are nonverbal cues. You know, if you want to if you want a definition of what enthusiastic consent is, ask a man. He knows what it is. You know, what does your fantasy look like? She's going nuts. Like, I just, it just drives me crazy when, sorry, I'm getting upset <laughs> when people are like, oh, you know, consent, really consent to the full picture of consent is, um, you know, it's not just no means no, but it's yes means yes. So we're kind of like shifting away from just no means no. And that's important, but it's like, what does a yes look like? Because that's sex positivity. That's pleasure. Like, that's the language everybody speaks. Like, people want to live there. That's what they want to talk about. So when I'm, you know, explaining respecting boundaries as an example to boys and men, you know, if somebody can't tell you what they don't want to do, they won't tell you what they do want to do. Like, this, like, eagerness, like, oh, my God, tell me what you want. Is that sex positivity. You know, that's the language that people speak. They want to know what that looks like. And, you know, it, it's just been my experience the way that girls talk about sex, girls and women, they tend to say things like, you know, I just want to be able to let go and not have to worry about anything anymore. And I can let my guard down and, and just like, oh, just like, I don't have to think about anything anymore. And, you know, and, and then boys and men say things like, well, she's so into it and she's going nuts. And it's like, you're basically saying the same thing. And it sounds like what women are describing is like, I just want to be allowed to like, feel good. And just like, oh, like, just have pleasure. And then, you know, men are like, oh, she's shaking and moaning and groaning, like female pleasure, female pleasure. You're saying the same thing. And what's just so nuts to me is that the clitoris had, was erased from sex ed curriculum for decades. It wasn't there because it didn't have anything to do with, you know, a sperm and an egg. And you really taking away female pleasure took away so much language. You know, it created so much I think pain and suffering for women and girls who were like, how come I don't get to, why do I always have to say no? And why doesn't sex get to be fun and feel good for me? And then, you know, boys are like, Oh, just tell me what you want. And I just want you to be so into it. And it's like, I think that, you know, the erasing of sex positivity and female pleasure has really created a lot of suffering for girls and just worlds of confusion for boys and men. And Sabrina, when you say erasing, not even existing for a long time, it wasn't given and then taken away. The conversation around uh, female pleasure and, and the conversation around the clitoris and, and the conversation around the G-spot and the conversation mm -hmm. around orgasms related to each, that mm -hmm. wasn't given and then taken away, was it? No, it just no, wasn't there. It wasn't there. Is it, it was there included, now? Oh my God, it was included under when? Um, that's a good question. It's it a, I think it's teacher prompt. It certainly needs to be there. Yeah, I mean, it depends, I mean, you know. I mean, what year is this? It all needs to be there. Um, but, you know, when I say, what are some of the other prompts? What are some of the other signals? What are some of the other things that put men over the edge? And, and you know, we always hear men are so visual. And, yes. So, for example, uh, a man in doggy style, um, the visual of that being behind his partner, um, male or female, gay or bi or uh, hetero, is often too much. That's going to put you over the top uh, as soon as uh, verbalization will. 
dirty talk is another thing. If yeah. if couples explore their fantasies through verbal communication, and one of the ways they do it, and we've talked about it, and it really leads to the climax of each of these episodes, Sabrina, where we tell mm-hmm. a story, and it's really fantasy-based, largely, mm-hmm. and it's pretty steamy, and the idea that some couples, you know, tell me a story, honey. It can be fiction. It can be nonfiction. It can be part of your history. I don't mm-hmm. want to know the difference. I don't want you to to clarify what 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 is real and what isn't. Just tell me a goddamn story. Lie to me yeah. if you have to. And that puts people over the edge. Yeah. Because sometimes sometimes the friction of of intercourse isn't enough for some partners. So tell me something dirty. Talk dirty to me. That will put me over the edge. That's another yeah. thing. The visual, the verbal, not just moaning, but actual talking and telling mm. and storytelling. That's got to be part of the conversation, I would think, in sex ed. Oh, my God. I mean, that would be wonderful if you could talk about, um, you know, fantasy versus desire like fantasy um and i think adults need to hear this too like fantasy is what it sounds like it's you know something that lives in your head it's very erotic you like to think about it but desire is the actual you know motivation to go get that thing whatever that is right so let's say you're straight let's say you identify as a heterosexual person but you love thinking about having sex you know two men having sex or two women having sex and that that lives in this place of fantasy for you uh, but in reality you're like, I don't really have much desire to go get that, but God, do I love to watch it and think about it, you know, and that could really open up a lot of pathways for you. Maybe, you know, maybe to spice things up in your bedroom, you pretend there's another person there. You go, if this person was there, I would touch them like this. Or maybe you love to watch and you and your partner can, you know, voyeurism is your kink. I think if you really cram people into roles, like if you don't really give people the language to understand that sexuality lives on a spectrum that, you know, thinking about one thing doesn't necessarily make you that way. It can just kind of open up doors to different erotic things for you and different kinks for you. Then it can make everything just so much more fulfilling for people and that they don't have to worry so much about like, what does this mean? It doesn't really mean anything, you know? It doesn't have to mean anything. It means it doesn't have to. desire yeah. and action can be two different things. And what I think it does for couples um, or potentially can do for couples that otherwise may fail um, is, is that's a greater depth of intimacy. It's here's mm. some of the thoughts I'm having. Um, what do you think about? Here's what I think about. And that's another deep conversation and brings a, a greater connection to a couple. True intimacy is being able to tell somebody who you are, what you are, what you think, what you feel, and not yeah. having them run away. So if you have uh, non-heteronormative thoughts, uh, woman thinking yeah. about a woman, man thinking about a man, out of the fear that the partner's going to leave, do it on the sly and hope they never yeah. get caught. If that yeah. conversation's on the table, that can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's not just, you know, orientation that we're talking about, like, possibly experimenting with the same sex or the opposite sex or whatever, but that's even, you know, polyamory too. Like, if that's on the table, you know, is it, it doesn't have to be cheating. We can talk about it. And maybe if you, you know, in that same way, like we've talked about it before, I think we said in the previous episode, sexuality lives on a spectrum. It's zero to six. So zero is exclusively heterosexual. Six is exclusively homosexual. One to five is all this variation. I, be- I believe that monogamy can live on that same spectrum and in that same regard you know fantasy and desire are two different things so maybe you love to think about having sex with other people but in reality 
if it's on the table and you're talking about it, you don't have the desire to do it if you can just talk about it. So you maybe may or may want... not. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 the maybe conversation not. is important. And, and where it's really important, and I think that I think this really does contribute to, you know, 50 plus percent of marriages end in divorce, those conversations could have happened and 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 would have been um would have been empowering for both people to potentially stay in the relationship if they'd at sure. least explored what they felt and thought and 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 maybe they wouldn't have stayed together in that way anyway in a monogamous way anyway but maybe yeah. they would have at least at least we're talking that's intimacy to me sharing those thoughts sharing those thoughts like free from judgment free from ridicule you know and it's not uh, you're sharing because you you believe that your partner has uh, an eagerness to understand you better and you're not sharing because you think you owe them something or out of fear of them getting angry if it, like it's completely autonomous and you think it could be so much fun to explore this together yeah I, that's how I would define intimacy for sure. And, and, and in, even with regards to polyamory for a second, like if, you know, fantasy and desire, like what we're talking about, maybe, you know, you don't necessarily want to sleep with anybody else, but you love the attention, you know, maybe you want to go on a date with somebody. Maybe you want to, maybe you want to get checked out. Maybe you want to watch your wife get checked out. Now we're talking about kink again, because cucking is like one of the biggest things ever. It's so a like, huge category in porn. Isn't huge it? kink category, right? Maybe you want to watch your husband get checked out and go home and treat him like a little piece of meat. Like if you, if you allow for these conversations to be had, it doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to, you know, it's not so black and white. You know what I mean? It's not. It's like there's a lot of nuance to human sexuality. We just we don't see it that way. But if you actually like, okay, you know, it's a spectrum. Fantasy and desire are two different things. Erotica exists. You know, like I, intimacy is this. Sex is this. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to explore, and I'm going to try to do this non-judgmentally. Like, my God, the things you could learn about each other, about yourself. Shedding the shame, shedding the judgment, yeah. having the conversation. It all comes back at the end of the day. The the biggest um, component of all of it's communication. Yeah. Can I tell yeah. you what I'm thinking? Can I listen to what you're thinking without judgment? And mm. and can we quell the fear long enough to hear it rather than run scared from it? You know, and I want to add too that there's different ways to communicate because I've had people say like, you know, I would rather die than look into my husband's face and say, I, I want to sit on your face. You know, like I can't, I'm too embarrassed. Wow. So then write it down. Like, can she, can she text that to you? Right. You know, like, can you, can you send a picture of that happening? Like, you know, from a movie scene, can you send it to him? Right. Like, you know, there's different ways to tell people how you, how you want. There's different ways to communicate. Animated gifts are amazing. Yeah. Stuff For like example. that. You don't have to. I mean, I'm a pretty open person. You're pretty, like lots of people, whatever. But I understand that like, you know, turning to your partner and being like, I really want you to like lick my butthole is like you would it's just like you can't you just don't you're too embarrassed to do it then you know if he's truly if she's truly non-judgmental and you want to share these fantasies and you can't get over that hump why do you have to say it that's okay write it, it down it can be a clip from a movie it can yeah. be a line from a poem it can be from a story it can be a yeah gif it can be a video there's so and you know that be, that extends the foreplay to you know when you leave for work and 10 minutes later she or he texts you and there's a thing for them to think about all day. And it's a communication nice. that wasn't so direct, but it definitely will resonate over the over the day. So when you see each other again, maybe that thing that you wanted comes to life. See that this is sex coaching right now because sex doesn't only doesn't just take place in the bedroom, it takes place like 
everywhere if you let it. And unsolicited dick pics, no fly zone. No, thank you. See how consent, like, no, 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 we're asking each other. I think that, I mean, obviously consent is the most important thing, but, um, um, you know, sexting, like if you're going to take a sexy picture, for all intents and purposes, sexting is taking a picture of your whatever. Even that, like it has a lot of flexibility, but I just, it really makes me sad that, um, you know, sexting has such negative connotations and you know, I, I recently read a study where they were saying, like, you know, trying to look at sexting from a sex positive way. How can it enrich your relationship? And it can. Please. Oh, Sabrina, it massively can when you have two people that are open to it. There's another bit of communication. Send mm-hmm. me. Tell me. Show me. I'd like to show you. Is it okay if I show you? Tell you. Send you. And when two mm-hmm. people agree that that's okay, and they also agree, this is just for you. Yeah, this and this for, is just for you. like For your, for your eyes only or 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 send it to me it's going to be for my eyes only it's again a communication it's a negotiation it is i mean showing other people you know we say this to kids too you know sex doesn't just take place in the bedroom it takes place all around you and when you respect somebody's boundaries you respect them in the bedroom and outside of the bedroom which means you're not telling all your friends what you did with this person you're not you know telling their intimate secrets and the details of it that's not respecting them i think adults need to hear this because the slut shaming is just ridiculous like why would a girl send a picture of her tits if she didn't want him to put on the internet but is it is it unreasonable to think that that picture is just for that person? That sounds Don't like punish somebody. Who, someone who you know? checked their brain at the door. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people people don't often believe the, the bullshit that they spew, though. Someone who says that doesn't actually believe it. Or they I'd shouldn't. like to think they. I'd like to think you're you're right. Being mm-hmm. wrong is something that we'll all be at some point. Owning it and apologizing for it is key. You know what's wonderful is that uh, in recent episodes. Uh, in episode 10, this is 11, in episode 10, we had Nikki Davis from Brooklyn, New York, who talked about consent. One of the things that, that I'll pass to you and, and, and encourage everyone to listen to is she pointed out that years ago it was no means no means no means no. But sometimes in a, in a panicked or in a um, threatening um, environment, state, position, two people are together, one person's being aggressive, one person's not getting consent, um, but the other person doesn't have the capacity to verbalize no. There's a yeah. freezing that happens with some people in fear. Yeah. And yeah. so it's more, it's more complex than just no or yes. Mm-hmm. And there, then there are nonverbal cues. Smiling was one of them. Nodding was another. There's lots. What yeah. we're going to do in episode 12, and I know you're going to love this, is we're going to be speaking to Marley Liss. And Marley oh, was, I'm so glad. Right, yeah, right? yeah. So just a little tease is that um, Marley um, was the victim of sexual assault. And what Marley did with it is something that you might not have expected. And she mm-hmm. is now on the world stage as a speaker traveling the globe to talk about why and what she did differently as it related to the person who was on trial for their crime. And it's going to be eye-opening. I'm so pleased to be able to have Marley on episode 12 coming up next time. You know, since I first spoke to you in episode two, we've come so far. I'm so Mm -hmm. committed to this conversation, um, the broader conversation about communication so that we can all have a greater pleasure in a safe environment and better relationships. I feel like, I don't want to say it's so easy, but like, 
one of the first things you learn in sex therapy is like people can have sex but they can't they they can't talk about it it's so hard you know and then so much of my job is just kind of like helping people talk and once you figure out how to do that and communicate it's like it's like the, the, the doors just blast open to another to another place you know i just want everyone to get there <laughs> and thank you for helping us get closer to that mark sabrina yeah oh my god we'll do we'll You're do, welcome. We'll do <laughs> down the road we'll, we'll have another conversation and we'll open it up um because it's not opened up in the curriculum at schools so much as we've alluded to and, mm-hmm. and and not everyone's aware what the curriculum looks like, but LGBTQ. We want to open it up to people along the entire spectrum so that mm-hmm. there's greater understanding, not just in heteronormative relationships, but, but across the board, because mm-hmm. it doesn't all operate exactly the same way. Do you, in your practice, before I ask you, where can people find you for the coaching you do for couples? What are the parameters that you have and what you'll deal with with people? I mean, I don't really go over trauma so much. Like, I again, like sex therapy is more of an exploration of the past. I'm more of like, um, you know, looking forward in the future. But I'd say what I am comfortable doing is talking about kink exploration, discussions of polyamory, um, intimacy and communication issues, LGBTQ sexuality. Um, oh, my God, BDSM. I can I really cover just about everything. There's <laughs> nothing right. that makes me very uncomfortable. The one I'm learning about the most, though, is um, like neurodivergent sexuality. That's I think I have a lot to learn there. And um, so I don't really specialize in anything there. But give us, give, us, give us just a hint about what that entails. Well, like people who, um, you know, are on the spectrum of autism, let's say, or um, I mean, I have ADHD, but like ADHD, uh, like working with people who have who are neurodivergent, who likely see the world and sexuality. I know that they do a little bit differently and need to learn, need different tools to learn better essentially right so that is such a big massive area of exploration and i think we've like we're just scratching the surface of it and then persons with um like disabilities like i can i know some about that but not like a ton i feel like we should constantly be learning we're all if if we're doing it right we're consciously incompetent in many areas and that's the best student you know that you don't know yeah it's it's yeah. the ones that don't know that they don't know that are the, the dangerous ones. In the world. Yeah. And then the teachers, and you are this, though. You're consciously competent in a lot of areas, and that's what yes. makes you an expert in those areas. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, anything with, like, communication, intimacy, kink, polyamory, that's my jam. Where do we come find you? So you can find me on Instagram at AfterSexEd. Uh, you can find me at AfterSexEd.com. On TikTok, I had to change my name again to learn with Sabrina to make it as unsexy as I can make it because they, that is a whole other episode of social media, sex education censorship. You can't so, have sex in the title of anything on TikTok. I mean, you can, but if they, if you get on their radar, you can't. So I have been spanked many times and not in the fun way. Not in the good <laughs> <on> TikTok, way. <laughs> not in the good way. Um, so I, I learned with Sabrina there. Yeah. After sexed.com is where I go to uh, to brush up in my you know, Sabrina Baldini. <laughs> it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. She did it right at the Blue Hotel. She did it right at the Blue Hotel.
So now here it comes, the way we climax each episode of the Blue Hotel podcast, an adult bedtime story written and narrated by yours truly. And this time it's an encore presentation of a story from episode six. Turns out from the emails through bluehotelpodcast.com and through the messages from Blue Hotel Podcast on Instagram, this has been people's favorite story so far. The story of David and Danny and their sailing school reunion. Story called Summer of Love. I don't know about you, but it seems people are saying, you do you, a lot lately. How many among us get to the essence of their true spirit and soul and put themselves out into the world bare of the masks they may have created in the name of conformity? Not conforming takes courage. I've said it before, and it bears repeating. There's value in getting back to the innocence and the openness of that kid you may have long ago left behind. A chance to try things you want to try. Open up to the possibilities not bound by expectation. And revel in the expression of what makes you burn. Sometimes it's a matter of realignment. Getting to the essence of who you are. And sometimes it's in the stillness of remembering what you had and what you lost. The act of getting back to you doing you. And it comes with questions. What do you desire? In career, in relationships, in intimacy, in sex. Sometimes when things get too familiar, they become devoid of the erotic. A dulling of the senses. One thing's for sure, people need to give partners time to miss them. Distance breeds desire. Nights apart. Date nights. Role-playing. There's lots of ways to keep the fires burning. But sometimes in life it can get completely away from you to the point that it's not coming back. And the answer dwells outside of the lines, in the shadows, where nothing's known and everything's new. All you have is a blank canvas and your instincts. And passion and desire can only be realized within the intrigue of the completely unfamiliar. Of course, there's danger in that, and discomfort, and growth, and fire. Danny had given up many of her freedoms for conformity, and for family, and for a partner who was everything until he wasn't. They'd had a good run, as they say. Over time, though, he'd become a much better golfer than a lover. She didn't lay all the blame with him. Of course, it takes two. And what had happened was less important than what would happen once Danny traded in all that was known for a realm where nothing was. And if the book of life is ultimately built upon adventures and experiences, she was most interested and excited for the chapters that had only been imagined. And when she did imagine, it was just glimpses at first a toe in the water, until eventually she pulled back the curtain and revealed to herself, herself, it was time for Danny to fill her own tank. And when she allowed herself the freedom to do so, her mouth could almost taste it, and the space between her legs feel it. It was time for Danny to bloom again, to welcome what her dreams had been manifesting. So much so, she started coming in her sleep. It was one day in the early part of last summer she went to pick up her son from sailing school, his class had gone a bit late, which was fine with her. A chance to enjoy the breeze coming off the bay and read a bit of her book on the bench by the boardwalk that met the pebbled beach that was drenched by the freshwater waves. When the wind picked up, the young sailors' skills were tested and tried. Their teachers were experienced and adept as they'd been students themselves, and now, college age, they'd come home to summer by the bay and pass on their experience while making a little money. Danielle had watched them grow. 
getting to know some quite well, others less so. On this day, as she sat, legs crossed, turning pages in a novel telling tales of European travels, which brought back memories from her own past, the story was interrupted by a voice above and behind. You want me to bring you down something cold to drink? Twisting herself around and squinting to see, his body was half out the open second-story window. And she called back, Hi, David. Really, you'd do that for me? David said, Of course. Fizzy water with lime okay? She laughed and said, Perfect, please, yes. David was one of her favorites. He'd been teaching at the sailing school for five summers, and with two years of college behind him, the changes she'd seen in him were immense, and how thoughtful he was to bring her something icy to drink. Not two minutes had passed, and there was his voice again just steps behind her now. I've been thinking, and if you don't mind, I always think of you as Danny. Danielle felt her face flush a bit and said, That's fine, you can call me that, David. He reached out and handed her the tall glass, and she thanked him and put it to her lips and tasted the fizzy lime taste before saying, Now look at you. He laughed a bit. Yeah, it's me, all right. It's been nine months since I saw you, and you look great. How have you been? Danny responded, I feel great, too. Thank you. I feel better than I've felt in forever. Doesn't hurt the sun's shining and this breeze for our sailors and this book and a cool drink now and your compliments to boot, she said. And the shyness Danny remembered David having was completely gone. He asked her, and what do you attribute the feel-good feeling? Danny said, let's just say I'm opening back up to what life has to offer. And then she directed it back to him with, what about your year away and being back here? How does that feel? David replied, actually, it feels like it's just what the doctor ordered. Being on the water for the summer puts me in my happy place. And we finally got funding a few months late, but better late than never, to renovate the staff suites upstairs. And they're letting me supervise the project and take some shifts instructing, too, so the best of both worlds. David continued, I'm just about to go back up and review the plans. It's been such a pleasure seeing you again, Danny. Just leave the glass on the step when you're done, if you would. She said the pleasure was mine, David, thank you. And said, I can see the boats now. It won't be long before they're back, and I'll hope to see you again this week. And with that, off he went, and soon she'd collect her son and make her way home. It was there that evening Danny felt a bit silly, but didn't care that she was thinking the things she was thinking about David. He wasn't young enough to be her son, but still. But he'd grown up so much even since last summer. His voice was that of a man now. His shoulders had gotten so broad. He hadn't lost a bit of his sincere charm and sweetness, but he'd found a confidence she'd not known on him. Asking to call her Danny. It was only last year it had changed from Mrs. Masters to Danielle at her insistence. She'd wanted to ask him about the college girls, but decided it was too much so soon, held back. Still, she couldn't resist imagining him in his college residence and how he might have been with a woman, or perhaps women. She couldn't help but think he was as lucky as he wanted to be with girls. Then as she got ready for bed, she thought some more about it and found herself getting lost in visions of him taking charge with someone who looked a bit like her. Danny took good care of her yoga body. Well hydrated, no booze, clean food, an hour weekdays at sunrise, stretching her neck and spine and finding balance between her hips. 
extending her hamstrings and calves and the arches of her feet. Yoga had also helped relieve back pain, left over from her ski racing days. She'd focus on distributing her weight evenly through her palms and lifted her hips up and back away from her shoulders. Downward dog, upward facing dog, plank pose, triangle and warrior and dancer and goddess and all of the poses that made her feel alive and ready to take on a day. But in this moment, there were other positions Danny imagined, and she pictured David there with her, like the wide squat over top his body. She'd never thought of him this way before. Now it's all she could think of. That evening, she worked herself into a frenzy, her vibrating dildo upon her clit. She had to push it up inside all the way and imagine him penetrating her deeply while she showed him poses the college girls may or may not have. Eyes burning with the need for sleep, Danny dozed off, and before she knew it, she was back on her yoga mat, stretching and sweating and lost in more thoughts. She headed to the sailing school much earlier that afternoon, taking her book and parking herself upon the bench by the blue water, with plenty of time to relax before the boats were to be back. Danny wasn't the only one thinking about tomorrow last night. David had also been swimming in his thoughts about her as he lay in bed with his own book and a view to the bay and the sunset and a vision of her strong back, the straps of her black bathing suit crisscrossing upon her toned shoulders. He found Danny to be a rare combination of highly fit and incredibly feminine. Fragile she was not. Her shoulders were broader than most women. And from the second-story window, the sight of her had made him stiff. He had actually worried that his cock wouldn't subside enough to not be completely obvious how she affected him. He loved that when he approached her from the front, all of her femininity burst forth in her face, and he was captivated by her slender fingers as she reached out to receive the cold drink he'd brought her. And more than anything, admittedly, it was a three-way tie for his attention between her back, that gave way to a bubble butt, and her smile and her full breasts. They were real, and they were really nice. And laying on his bed, his shoulders against the pillows, propped against the headboard, he imagined her in the same position, naked, and how her breasts might look, how wide the colored part around her nipples might be, how she might like them stimulated, if she might like his mouth upon them, and how they might sway when her body was being pushed by his, and what the hair above her pussy looked like. Was it waxed away and completely smooth, or was it a pretty tuft, landing strip style? or a classic triangle, maybe? And were the lips subtle or protruding, and was her clit pronounced, and how would she most want to take him? In one of her yoga poses, or maybe she'd straddle him on a firm kitchen chair and drop down on his cock that way. All of David's thoughts led to all of the cum in his balls shooting so hard it landed all the way up his neck as he muttered the name Danny as he came. Sleep came fast after that. Now it was the new day, and Danny was on the bench reading, semi-focused, and David popping in and out of her thoughts. He was upstairs, semi-focused on the planning of the reno of the staff suites at the sailing school, and semi-erect with thoughts of Danny. And as working isn't always about burying your head in emails and paperwork, he was immersed in his thinking time as he wandered over to the window, overlooking the bay, surprised to see Danny by the water so early this day. Instead of yelling down to her this time, he threw on his swimsuit, grabbed a towel, and headed down to say hello. About fifteen feet from the bench, the breeze of the bay brought straight to David the smell of Danny's perfume. It smelled like 
and he wasn't quite sure what, but he liked it. Hi, Danny, he said as he came up from behind. David, I might have just been thinking about you. He replied, I was definitely thinking about you. Now I have to ask your perfume. It's nice. Tell me. Danny said, oh, you'll love this. Let me look up the description I found after I discovered it and bought it last month. She searched it up and started reading to him. Gypsy water is for those who prefer to wear their boyfriend's jeans, T-shirts, and sweaters and are always nursing the desire for a tiny, delicate tattoo somewhere. They laughed together at that, and she continued. The scent is woody and musky with smoky flower petals. And if that's not enough, it's also, quote, like a vintage leather jacket that goes with everything and molds to your body, super elegant but not uptight. They laughed some more, and he said, Now I really like it. It kind of describes you. Danny said, You think? David replied, super elegant, but not uptight. That's exactly you. But the smoky flower petals bit? Now that's hot. She was about to say, come sit, but he beat her to it, and they were now side by side. You can come in now if you like for a proper sniff, she said to him. So he did, and said, whoa, smoky petals. She pressed, how about woody and musky? David said woody for sure, and grinned as he did. So, David, tell me about the heartbreaking you did all year at college. David smiled and said, actually, no, a couple of hearts got beating fast. But somehow no hearts were harmed in the making of that school year. So far as I know, I don't have anyone I'm keeping in touch with. They were both quiet for a moment. It was Danny who broke the silence in sharing how she'd read a piece in The Atlantic about millennials and how things had changed since she was that age how students fell into three groups. Roughly one-third were the abstainers who opted out of the hookup culture entirely. A little more than a third were the dabblers who hooked up sometimes. Less than a quarter were the enthusiasts who looked forward to hooking up, and the remainder were in long-term relationships. She said to David, So where do you fall into all this? He said, You can call me an enthusiast. Danny's grin broke into a proper wide smile. He loved her mouth and he loved what she had on today, too. Black bikini. The material had texture to it and looked a bit wet without being so. Her breasts made him weak. Her bikini bottoms were the likes of which nothing he'd seen before. One string clung to the top of her hips and circled her waist, holding up two black, shiny, wet-looking panels that were narrow, covering a bit of her butt, but barely, the kind of bathing suit that would make young boys and old folks gasp. And for David, it made him as hard as he'd been last night imagining her next to him. And now she was. Come for a swim, she said. Let's, said David, and together they headed along the pebbled beach to the bay and walked out together for a while before it was deep enough. And then they went all the way in and up to their necks and both dove under and swam out a bit and it got deeper and they tread water a bit before moving closer to shore to where they could stand. Danny said to David, it is good for me that you're single now. And so am I for the first time in forever. David said, how long was forever? Danny said, well, you know, my son's 13. I was married a year before he arrived, so 14 years since I've been with anybody but my ex, at least physically. But my head was out of that game the last few years, so it feels like even longer. And how did you cope with that, responded David. 
Danny said, kept busy as one does with career and a kid. You keep your head down with work and yoga and you clean and cook and read and sleep and repeat and suddenly you're 39. David smiled and said, your body's 29, so you're actually barely older than me. Danny said, what's seven years anyway? Then David said what he'd been thinking. I can tell you this, Danny. That bathing suit is ridiculously hot. And the only way it could be hotter is upstairs on my kitchen floor. How things between them had escalated, they both realized. To say that Danny was ready for something new was the understatement of the century. She'd already climbed up and down his body in her mind, felt his chest press against hers and his lips and his tongue, and she'd already yanked on his dark mane of curly hair, pushing his head where she needed it to be, and she'd stroked his cock and sucked on it, too. She'd already been fucked good and hard by David, if only in her thoughts. Now she was realizing not only could she do it for real, she had time. Ninety minutes on the clock before she had to be fully clothed and composed enough to meet her son after his sailing class had finished. Who's upstairs right now, she asked David. David said everyone's out. Danny said take me up and do to me what I imagined you did last night. David said and what did you imagine? Danny shot back anything you wanted. They didn't even bother to towel off before taking their bodies dripping from the bay up the stairs and into his suite. And David said to Danny, let's go get under some warm water first, and he led her into the bathroom where a rain shower head hung from the ceiling, and he turned it on. Then he peeled off her bottoms and she pulled off her top, and then pulled down his suit and they were naked and hugging and under falling water and they kissed. And he didn't realize at first, but those were tears falling from her eyes, too, as she let go emotionally, in the relief of having something she was not permitted to have for too long. Happy tears, with this young man of passion, with a beautiful soul and a cock that rose against her stomach. And she was going a bit out of her mind, realizing that they were actually doing this, and he was the hottest thing she'd ever seen and she could actually have him inside of not only her mind, but wherever he wanted to go now. The hot water had warmed up their bodies. David lathered her back as he pulled her into him and circled the cheeks of her ass with his soapy palms and bent his knees and let his hands run all the way down the backs of her legs and gripped her ankles for a second and ran his hands slowly back up the front of them then over her tummy and onto her breasts lathering some more and circling her nipples. Then he put his hands lightly around her neck and kissed her forehead and eyebrows and eyes and nose and cheeks and mouth. And then he let the water run over, rinsing her breasts before taking each one in his mouth and lightly sucking, and then gripping with mouth and hand for a while. And then their mouths met again, and they found themselves thinking, what's next? David shut the water off and started toweling Danny's body dry, and then his own. And then he said, come with me. And he led her to the kitchen. And he pulled a hard chair from the table and positioned it in the middle of the room. And sat her in it, naked but warm, smiling. And he walked toward the hall and opened the closet and came back with a black bar, about two inches thick, maybe thirty inches wide. 
It had an eye hook in the middle on the top with a length of chain and two more eye hooks, one on each end, and hanging from each were black leather cuffs. And he took the chain and he reached it above his head and he connected it to the hook that was buried into one of the beams, below which Danny was perched naked on the chair. Her eyes were big now. This was something new. David was full of surprises. Stand up, Danny, he said firmly and took her left hand and raised it above her head and wrapped the leather cuff around her wrist and coaxed the leather strap through the stainless steel buckle and secured it snugly. And he took her right hand and did the same with it. And now she was stretched toward the ceiling. And then he nudged her legs apart and pushed the chair out of the way and he got on his knees and from behind and gently at first took long strokes with his tongue on her pussy lips as she arched a bit and invitingly pushed her ass out and he tongued her some more and more deeply and let his fingers find her hole and it was good and wet. And she kept wiggling and arching and pushing her ass back. And she was surprised when he slapped it hard, left and right, and she said so, David. And he responded, Have you not been bad? And she replied, My thoughts have been very bad since yesterday when I saw you. Badder than you can imagine. And he slapped it again. And she said, Harder. And he spanked her cheeks harder until they were red and tingling. And Danny said, How lucky are we that we get to do this. The sting of his ass smacks and the tension of her arms outstretched above her head and his tongue upon her cunt had almost made her forget where she was or who she was. And just then David reached up and held her restrained wrists in each of his hands and pushed his chest against her, his cock pushing against her ass. And the warmth of his breath and mouth covered her neck. And then he wrapped his right arm around her right side so that his hand could grip her left breast. And with his left hand, he guided the hardness between his legs up and into her wetness. And the chain swayed with the movement of their arms. And Danny knew one thing for certain. This was not a fire she'd known. She'd never been taken like this, with cuffs and a chain and such passion and intention. And he pumped her, and the pace was slow but even, and she felt strangely as if she was on the verge of coming the whole time but didn't want to because it felt better to vibrate just below the threshold, to hover as they were on this plateau of ecstasy. Danny had actually almost forgotten how much she loved to fuck. The journey continued with pumping and fingering and his mouth upon her neck, and she turned her head and parted her lips wide, inviting his tongue onto hers, twisting and tasting, and their mouths together were as wet and as wild as his cock felt diving in and out of her. And then he slowed it right down and said, I need you to ride it. And he reached up and adjusted the chain so that the bar hung that much lower. And David pulled the chair over and sat upon it facing Danny. And he said, spread. And she did so she was able to straddle him. And the chain was the perfect length now for her to drop her body onto his cock. Her arms fully outstretched again as they worked together. Danny pulled herself up while David's hands lifted from under her ass. Together they bounced her body up and down good and hard. And while she bounced, he devoured her breasts and her whimpers became moans that were escalating in volume. And then he stared her in the eye as he drove her on and off of him. And he held his stare and he resumed kissing her neck and tongued her mouth. And then he wanted her to feel the pressure of release and so gripping her ass cheeks 
He grounded pelvis onto his, no longer stroking in and out, but keeping his cock fully inserted and circling and grinding until her neck and chest reddened in color and the veins at her temples and in her neck swelled and the grinding of the circling continued until she began to announce the arrival of her orgasm by announcing his name in a scream that you could have heard across the bay. And the only thing louder was the sound that David gave out immediately after as he filled her hole with a load that shot into her like a gun, a love gun. And they held each other close on the chair in the kitchen for a while as his cum ran from inside of her and onto the seat. The summer of love had just begun. Come on, let's go to the blue hotel. Please take me by to the blue hotel. The Blue Hotel Podcast, just about every Thursday at midnight Eastern. Follow, listen, enjoy, rate, review, share, repeat. Thank you. Till next time, I'm Jeff Woods. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.